Today's an important day in the life of our church because for years, Baptists have placed a great value on Sunday school. We call that life groups here, and we've got some new folks in the worship service today. Would you welcome our rising fifth graders that are here today? First time. Glad to have you guys here. That's good. Every year in the first Sunday in August, a couple of things happen. One of them's really good. One of them may be borderline sinful. The good thing is that we promote all of our students and children into their next class. Uh, They're getting new teachers today. Some are moving up from children into merge, merge into middle school, middle school into youth, or maybe moving even to our college group, which is always good. And we're excited about that. And the borderline sinful issue really revolves around some of our adults living a lie. It's a lie. A couple of years ago, I finally had to convince Pastor Ernie Standifer that his class wasn't nearly in newlyweds anymore. You know what I mean? Now imagine if you're new to the church and you show up to Ernie's class and you're looking for a nearly in newlyweds class and you open the door and everybody in there has been married more than 50 years. You might think that marriage ages people prematurely and be scared off. You know what I mean? It could be that way. So, so I implore all of our adults, stop lying. Put your real age on the outside of your Sunday school class. There's freedom in the truth. Freedom in the truth. You know, in seriousness, I do want to take a moment, though. If you work in a life group, if you're a life group leader, if you serve in any uh, capacity in our life groups, whether an outreach leader, Sunday school teacher, if you're working with children, youth, merge, adults, senior adults, doesn't matter. Would you stand up really quick? I want our church to see this. If you're in any way, shape, form. Yeah, right there. That's big time. Look around the room. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, We want to say thank you for faithfully teaching the word this morning. And, you know, just by way of reminder, we've said this a couple of times, but if you're you're in a position now where you don't have anybody in your class that has a student as a child anymore, we really do need to talk to you about moving to that next hour, and you're going to be hearing from Pastor Jack more about that. Uh, It's just one of those things that we don't have an option with anymore if we want to keep growing. So thank you for being willing to be flexible for that. Today we're starting a brand new series and it's called A Brand New You. And I know what you're thinking. Does it come with a free makeover? Maybe. Uh, But probably not like you're thinking. I don't know how you are with these kinds of things, but I'm fascinated by radical transformation. I love watching those shows where people go on and they say, we're going to try to lose this amount of weight over these couple of months and and just watching their lives transform. I love watching uh, those shows where they take houses that are in need of renovations and do it and you don't even recognize the house when they're finished. I love that because I think it's great when you can see somebody's vision come to be reality. That's, that's just a really neat thing when you get to see all of that. And as we start this series this morning, you may be thinking that you probably maybe not needing a brand new you. Uh, your friends may or may not agree with you on that. But on the other hand, you might be waiting this morning and kind of hoping, wishing that you could wake up to a brand new you. Sometimes that happens in our lives. We just wish we could start over and really be somebody new. Maybe as we start a school year, we wish that we could be someone that we really liked. And, and, and I promise you that that's possible this morning. As we look at this, you're gonna see it. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see how our relationship with Jesus Christ really transforms us into being a brand new person so that the brand new you starts to come out. And the truth is that if you'll follow along with this, and devote your lives to it, you might find that your actions and habits change so much 
that the people around you don't even recognize you. It could be really cool that way. Our text for the next few weeks is going to come out of the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And we're going to be there, and I'll invite you to go ahead and turn there. When the Apostle Paul wrote this book, he wrote it to a church at a place called Colossae, and he was addressing a few of the issues that they were having. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? Imagine that, a church having issues. I mean, but I think one of the things that happens, if you read the Old and New Testament, one of the things that you really begin to see is that there is nothing new under the sun. And the same issues that people were having then, they're having now, and the same issues that we have, people have always been having. And so as we read this, it ought to give us a little bit of hope. They were having doctrinal issues. They were dealing with false teachers. And his answer to all of this was to show them what some people call the preeminence, kind of a big word, or the centrality of Christ in our lives. And if we understand what that means, I think it can shape a little bit of our thinking to be a little bit different, but it'll change who we are if we understand who Christ is. I want to read this quote for you. It's not enough for Christ to be preeminent in the gospel, the cross, creation, and the church. He must also be preeminent in our lives. He has to be central to our lives. And as we look at Colossians 3, we're going to see how our relationship with Jesus Christ did way more than than just save us. That would be enough, but Christ did more than save us. He's changed us. Everything has been changed. And because everything has been changed, this brand new you can really shine on display for the world to see. So let's read verse 1 from Colossians 3 this morning. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, as soon as we read verse one, we see something that we saw last week as we were finishing our summer school series. We see this word, therefore, meaning we need to kind of look back and understand what's going on so that this starts to make sense. What Paul was talking about in chapter two was that the church needed to stop being preoccupied with themselves and this kind of idea that they needed to live religious lives so that people could see that. Now, when you try to live a religious life, what you're trying to do is check off a bunch of boxes that differentiate you from other people so that you can feel good about yourself. It's a prideful thing, really, and he's saying to these people, There's none of that that has place in a believer's life because the natural world has to fall away and the natural world wants to puff up the self. That's what happens. All of us want to feel good about ourselves. We want to to esteem ourselves highly. And he says, that doesn't work. We need to get our focus off of ourselves and put our focus on Jesus Christ. Now that may sound familiar to you because as we talked about investing in our summer school series, we talked about how our our focus can't be on the world that we see in front of us. It has to be on something that's eternal and we see that when we focus on the kingdom of heaven. But there's something else here that Paul says to us in verse one and it's a conditional statement that starts everything that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks so we can't just run by it. If you have been raised up with Christ, that's conditional. And, and I would be foolish this morning to just run by that and think for, for, for a second that everybody in here, maybe I would assume this, that everybody in here is a Christ follower. That would be foolish. We need to stop and really kind of bear down on this for just a second. If you have been raised up with Christ, if you've been raised up with Christ means that you've experienced new birth. It means that, that you've been saved. When you come to Christ and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord, new life is given to us. 
The, the Bible clearly states that we were dead in our trespasses and sins before we met Jesus Christ. And once we've come to know Christ, we now live in the power of the resurrection. And we've been raised from death to life. We're no longer living under this sentence of death for our sins because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, giving up his life. He was buried when he died, but here's the good news of the gospel. He didn't stay dead. He rose to life. And when he rose to life, the power of the gospel is found. It's found in the resurrection. It's an amazing thing that someone would die for someone else, but it's an incredible thing that someone would be raised from the dead. The power of the resurrection is where he conquered death and he brought new life to us. And if you've never been saved, it's impossible for me to talk to you this morning about having a brand new you. That would be kind of goofy. It'd be like me acting like I'm some kind of self-help guru and I'm not qualified to do that. I don't have it all figured out. I can't offer you some kind of self-help thing this morning. That's not what this is about at all. If you don't understand that being, Christ, being raised with Christ is the answer to everything, then, then this message doesn't mean anything because Jesus Christ holds the answer to every one of our greatest needs. And when we live our lives for him, the old passes away and all things become new again. Why? What's the fact of the resurrection? We don't have a hope in a resurrection that's unfounded. There's an empty grave to prove the Savior lives. History records his life uh, and work and, and that a movement was started and has never stopped because of the resurrection. I remind you of this. The movement of Christianity, the movement of salvation wasn't started at the crucifixion. His disciples ran away. They were scattered. They were scared. It was only when he was resurrected from the dead and they saw him alive again that the movement took hold. I promise you this. If you've been raised with Christ, the best version of you is just around the corner because you're a new creation. And if that's true of you, and you've been saved, then you are to keep seeking the things that are above. So that means for us this morning that we put our focus on something that's very important. Uh, if you were to take a driving class, one of the things that they might talk to you about is target fixation. If we were to leave here this, this afternoon and start driving home or drive to lunch and, and you see a piece of lumber that's laying in the road, target fixation says, this phenomenon says that if you focus on the piece of lumber, your chances of colliding with that piece of lumber actually increase, right? It's a funny thing, the way that our brains do. You think, I need, to, I need to miss this piece of lumber, so I'm gonna stare at it, and what you do is you drive the car right into it. What we need to do is focus on the path of avoidance, right? That, that's what we should be doing. And, and I promise you that target fixation can be a real thing in our lives as well, because there's a lesson for us. If you constantly think about yourself this morning, you'll collide with yourself. You'll absolutely collide with yourself. You won't be able to get over yourself. You will be the dominating thought in your life every day. It will lead you to depression because you can't think about anything but yourself. Self, we're told, needs to be discovered. It's something we should focus on, but not in the Bible. That's what the world says that we're supposed to do. The scripture says our focus, our target is to be something different. If you focus on your plans and dreams this morning, you'll collide with them. But you'll find at the end of all of that that there's something lacking in your life. You'll find that you're missing something in your life because we were never meant to focus on our plans and dreams. We were meant to seek something that was different. For the Christ follower, none of those things will do. We have to fix our gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek heaven, his purposes for our lives because we've been raised with Christ. 
who now sits, the scripture says, at the right hand of the Father. And I should very quickly point out what this means. We see this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 when it says this, when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? He sat down because the work was finished. It was over. And this is important for us to remember. The work of the cross is finished. It's complete. Sins are paid for. Remember no more. We're we're separated now from our sins as far as the east is from the west if we have been raised with Christ because the work is finished. And if you're in Christ, all your sins, past, present, and future, have been dealt with by Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit's working in your life to make you into the very image of Christ. To put it another way, the Holy Spirit is working to make a brand new you. That's what's happening right now. Once you come to Christ, that starts the process of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life to conform your life to the image of Christ. But that can happen if all you think about yourself. That can happen if all you're thinking about is your plans and dreams. That's target fixation that will lead you to collide with something that won't lead you anywhere. But when we fix our eyes on heaven and keep seeking the things above, it's amazing what's happening. Now look at verse 2 because there's a subtle restatement of verse 1, but it's important. Instead of seeking heavenly things, we're told to set our mind on heavenly things. Verse 1, keep seeking heavenly things. Verse two, set your mind on heavenly things. When you set your mind on something, it means that you're intent about it. You're purposeful about it. You keep thinking about it. And I don't want you to miss this this morning because it's really important. The battle for the Christian really resides in the mind. When you lose the battle in the mind, your actions from your body lead you to a place you don't wanna be. And as we dwell on things and think about those things, it actually shapes what we speak about, what we think about, and how we act. So it shouldn't come as a surprise then, should it, that what we ingest in our lives actually comes back out. What what you think about all the time, what you dwell on all the time, actually comes back out. Our thought lives are incredibly important. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians to take every thought captive that set itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't let those thoughts run wild. You don't give them permission to be in your life. You don't let them run freely. We have to be on the lookout and be on guard for these things because what starts to happen is all of the time, you'll think things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And he says, don't do that. Set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Set your mind, be intent about it. When you set your mind on something, it's deliberate. It takes an active choice. For us to set our mind on heavenly things, we probably have to make that deliberate choice several times a day. I don't know how it works in your life, but for me, I don't get to wake up when the alarm goes off and say, I have set my mind on heavenly things, I'm good for the day. It just doesn't work that way. Sometimes I make it through breakfast, sometimes not. Sometimes maybe to lunch, but there has to be a deliberate setting of the mind on heavenly things. If not, You'll just collide with whatever you think about. Now, when we do that, let me say this. It means for us as believers something that the church is struggling with right now. I'm gonna help us with this. If God calls it good, it's good. That was a great amen. If God calls it good, it's good. Right? And if God calls it bad, it's bad. What that means when you set your mind on heavenly things is that you're not rationalizing away all the stuff that you want to do. See, we struggle with that, don't we? It's like, well, I know God calls this bad, 
But I mean, is it really? I don't know. Is being bitten by a copperhead bad? Yes. I've never met anybody who thought that was a good thing in their life, you know? That's the reason I don't handle snakes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I I don't want to be around it. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to be around the danger, right? Is it bad? I think so. How do I know I can trust the word of God? We can't rationalize away things and say, well, well, you know, that was for back then. And this is for now. And we just need to be free to explore all of this stuff and try to figure out what God says is good and do it and figure out what he says is bad and stay away from it. And you'll be amazed at how simply blessed your life will be. That's setting your mind on heavenly things. That's moving to a place where you're keeping your focus where it's supposed to be. Now, as Paul says this to us, what he doesn't mean is stop working and only go to Bible study. He doesn't mean that that you should neglect your family responsibilities. What he's saying is that you set your mind on heavenly things even as you go about those things. Even as you work through those things, you set your mind on heavenly things and allow God to use work, family responsibility, hobbies, all of those things You let your mind be set on heavenly things that even as you go through those things, God is using them. If you're not uh, above this kind of thinking, what starts to happen is that God turns everything into a gospel engagement. He allows you to be engaged in his mission, in his priority, so that you can see what he's doing. So that every person you meet, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's out on the ball field, whether it's taking a run in the neighborhood, it's an opportunity for a gospel engagement. You have something to do that keeps your mind set on heavenly things. And then I think what starts to happen is we begin to realize that all the things that we used to set our minds on are passing away. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that this world is passing away? Would your neighbors agree that you believe this world's passing away? Or do they see you living as if this world is all there is? If this world's passing away, then setting our minds on a world to come makes sense, doesn't it? If this world's not passing away, then setting our minds on things that are to come, well, that's just death in the grave. That doesn't make any sense. But we're building an eternal kingdom. Look at verse 3. It gives the reason why we're to live heavenly minded instead of earthly minded. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, there's a version of spirituality making itself, uh, uh, kind of masking itself, I should say, as Christianity today that's really, really dangerous. And what it says is that you come to Jesus Christ, but nothing changes. You know, nobody wants to go to hell, so just accept Jesus And everything will be fine, and you don't have to change a thing. That's heresy. That's false doctrine. What you might call that is what some religions believe as as a plurality of gods, because you might as well just add Jesus to the mix. You know, and, and that's what some cultures struggle with. They believe in every kind of God in the whole world, so why not add Jesus to the mix? I mean, just get all your bases covered. You know, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's great. What's, it's making its way or, or around America today, around the world today, and it masks itself as Christianity by saying, come as you are and never change. It doesn't work that way because verse three says, 
you died. You died. And you can't just say, well, I believe in Jesus. Pray to Jesus and everything's gonna be fine because that's not the language that scripture uses to describe salvation. Before something new can live, the old must die. And that's why Jesus looked at the crowd one day and said, if any of you wanna kind of follow after me, grab a cross and follow after me. It was a a harsh reminder that it was an invitation to die. It was an invitation to die. For the believer, what was dead in our life is the life of sin. We no longer live according to the natural inclinations of the flesh. In the coming weeks, we're going to see exactly what that means for us in some practical ways. But for now, I want you to think about it like this. When you came to Christ, the old you died, so the brand new you could come to life through Christ. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We've identified with Christ in death so that we can live with Christ by faith. Now, this is powerfully illustrated for us as Baptists every time we do a baptism, right? Because we bring someone into the water and they identify with Christ. They're already saved. It's not to save them. We don't baptize so that people will be saved. But we say these words, you're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in New life. Something new has taken hold of your life. It's a great thing. This symbolism is beautiful for us when we see it because just like Christ died on the cross, we're identifying with his death, saying that our life is covered in his death and that we have now identified in such a way that the old has passed away and all things have been made new. Just like he was buried and resurrected, we're placing our faith in his death and resurrection. And the picture of baptism with this idea of the old passing away and the new coming out will change your life. When you come to Christ, you you have to be identified with him. And if you haven't had that experience of the old passing away and the new coming, you haven't been saved. You're not saved. That's why the idea of come as you are and just stick around and stay exactly like you are doesn't work. There's no transformation there. Christ didn't die to leave you in sin. Christ died so that we could be free from sin, so that we could live our lives in such a way that we would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and that a brand new us, a brand new you, would come out. A number of years ago, I heard a pastor talk about baptism. And he was telling this story about how when Christianity came and some of the first Vikings were coming to know Christ, there there was an interesting thing that was happening and they had a misunderstanding of salvation. They wanted faith in Christ. They wanted to be saved. But as this pastor told this story, many of them were getting baptized and they were holding their swords out of the water. Why? Well, I want to be saved, but I want to be able to kill whoever I want to kill. You know, I mean, like, change all of me, take all of me, but not the sword. Well, would we do that? Lord Jesus, save me, but my pocketbook is mine, not yours. You got all of me. Except, you can have all of me except this area of my life. I'm going to live sexually immoral. I'm going to be debased in my mind. I'm going to watch things and listen to things that have no place in a Christian's life. You can't have that. I get to have fun. What part of you died? Are you holding something out of the water? 
I mean, that's a, that's a really stark picture, isn't it? And I don't think we mean to do that, do we? We wouldn't set up to mean to do it, but it could be so easy for us to do that. We know that it doesn't work like that. We don't get to pick and choose the areas of our lives that we want God to change, while at the same time holding back and trying to hide some things from the Lord because we don't want him to meddle with those things that we enjoy as pleasurable. Paul says that we've died with him and we're now hidden with him. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That we're hidden with him. This isn't like playing hide-and-seek with a toddler. I may have mentioned this to you a few weeks ago, but one of our neighbors came over and wanted to use a printer at our house, and she brought her two-year-old with her. And so while Kathy was helping the two-year-old, I mean, helping the mom get the printer going and different things like that, the two-year-old and I sat down at the table and started having pretzels and lemonade, you know, trying to keep people occupied. That's a pretty good day right there when you get pretzels and lemonade, right? She ate her pretzels and finished her lemonade pretty quickly, and she wanted to play hide-and-seek. So that was great. So I went first. I was counting. And when I opened my eyes, she had left the room that we were in, but she'd just gone down the hall and was standing with her back to the corner like this, looking at me. <laughs> and so I kind of said to her, like, you know, I, I got you. You need to hide somewhere better. Let's try this again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready or not, here I come. Same place. All right? A game of hide and seek with a toddler is what many of our lives sound like. Because instead of being hidden with Christ, we're trying to hide from him. You can't do it. It just doesn't work. You're, you're, like, you're like the little kid standing in the corner and you think you're hidden really well. But the creator, the almighty God, he sees it all. So what are you going to hide from him? Paul says that our lives can be hidden in Christ. What a difference for our lives to be hidden in Christ. Because we're hidden in Christ, he knows everything we do. There are no secret sins. When we're hidden with Christ, we're sheltered from everything. When you're hidden with Christ, you're kept perfectly safe. Nothing is able to separate you from the love of God that comes through Christ Jesus. Not your latest mess up. Not temptation. Not your past and who you used to be because the scripture says you're hidden with him. It's the idea of being locked together with him. It's not just that, that you're invisible to see, but that you're kept safe with him. You're hiding underneath the shelter of his wings. And, and there's a beautiful part of this because no longer does he look at us as an enemy. He calls us his child. He says that we're part of his family. Now, right now, it might not seem like to you that that's a great thing. You may feel like, I, I don't feel like I'm part of the family. I don't feel this way. I don't feel hidden with Christ, but it's a reality for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've been raised up with Christ, you are hidden with Christ. And I want you to see what happens in verse four because there's a promise here. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life. Now, again, is he your life? Is he your life? Because that's the question, isn't it? If you have been raised with Christ, when Christ, who is our life... These statements are implying for us that God has changed our lives, that we've been transformed. 
And it says that when that happens, we will be revealed. To be revealed with Christ in glory gives us a couple of things to think about. When you came to Christ for salvation, you were saved. And the Holy Spirit immediately began this process of transforming who you used to be into who you were becoming, right? And the scripture says that we're saved in a moment. We're sanctified by the Holy Spirit, meaning that we're being transformed to be holy like Christ is holy, and one day we will be glorified or revealed with him in glory in heaven. This means that as you become holy like Christ, being sheltered underneath the shadow of his wing, hidden with Christ, at a certain point you will be revealed with Christ when you enter heaven. You will be revealed. Our place in heaven is secure. When we enter heaven, we'll be revealed with him, and we will be as he is. Today we are fighting our flesh and our desires and all these things that war within us. That's why the apostle says, there are these things I don't want to do and I find myself doing them and there's things I wish I could do and I don't do them and I don't understand this body that I'm fighting all the time. One day we're going to be revealed as to who we really are and that's to be just like Christ. No more fighting sin. No more fighting the flesh. No more fighting temptation. We will be perfect, but it means something else for us. When he comes back, we'll be revealed with him. You know, right now, the world doesn't think much of us. The world isn't concerned much with what we do. They'd really wish in a lot of ways that we weren't here. But the scripture says that Christ is coming again and that the dead in Christ will rise and that Jesus is going to do something amazing. First of all, he's going to make right what's wrong with this world. There's a lot wrong with the world right now. The tragic events of what happened over the weekend just remind us that this world is doing its best to spin apart and fracture itself because of the evil that exists within it. And yet, our hope is not in a new governmental plan. It's not in more security. It's not in anything that we can put our hands on because as long as this world exists, evil will exist in this world. Remember, we talked about that when we talked about making certain that we did something in the Beatitudes, the blessed life. We, we talked about it right after that as we were navigating. We said that we needed to be salt and light. Salt, preserving this world from further decay. It needs good people who love the Lord Jesus Christ to live in it. But when Jesus Christ is revealed, all of that stuff will fall away because evil will be separated from this earth once and for all. Satan will be bound. And while he may be laughing today at the events that unfolded and be really happy at the carnage and the destruction that he's able to cause around the world all the time, he won't be laughing long. Because one day he's going to be chained into a lake of fire. And we will be revealed with him, Jesus, to rule forever. Now, that only happens if you've been raised with him. If. It's not conditional in the sense that did you need to be born into the right family. Family pedigree doesn't matter. You don't have to be the right socioeconomic class. doesn't matter. Your race plays no part in this. doesn't matter. 
whether you're male or female, doesn't play any part in this, doesn't matter if you've been raised with Christ. That's it. If you've never given your life to Christ, can I encourage you today to come and die? What do you mean by that? To come and let the old things pass away. To look to Jesus for all the answers of your life. To surrender your life to him so that you may take up his life. And you say, well, how do I do that? You just have to ask him. You have to be honest and ask him. You can't be like the toddler that's kind of standing in the corner trying to hide. It doesn't work that way. He knows where you're at. But if you would come and give your life to Christ today, you can be raised with Christ. For the believer this morning, where is your focus? Honestly, what would your neighbors say? What would your coworkers say? Would they believe that your focus is on heavenly things and that your focus is on Christ? Or are you just like them? Because if you've never given your life to Christ in a way that transformed it, you're like that guy that's trying to hold something out when you're baptized. It just doesn't work. Could it be this morning that there's something you need to stop and set your mind on heavenly things? Repent of seeking earthly things and give your life to Christ. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Father, we just know that in a room this size, there's a great chance that somebody has never been raised with Christ. They don't know you. They've never been saved. Maybe they've prayed a prayer one time or tried to add Jesus to their life without ever being transformed. But Father, for that person, I pray today salvation would come home and that a brand new you would be found in their lives. Father, for the Christians that are in the room, the Christ followers, this is a reminder that our lives need to be spent on purpose. Father, for some of us right now in this room, there's stuff in our lives that needs to be crucified right now. It has no place. Some of the stuff that we've been watching, that we've been listening to. Some of the places that we've been going or the actions that we've allowed our bodies to be engaged in. We need to stop. Repent and set our minds on you again. Father, I know for me it's a deliberate choice today. And I've got to make it now. And maybe again this afternoon and this evening. Help us to do that, Lord that even as we go throughout our days, we would be heavenly minded. Father, I also pray for us that in tumultuous times, you would remind us that one day the truth of the scripture will be revealed and we will reign with Jesus. And that you'll separate evil from this world. We praise you for having overcome already and we ask you to come quickly, Lord.
and make right the wrongs of this world. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.